Amen. Good morning. We're in Numbers chapter 23 this morning. Got just a couple more weeks studying uh, the account of Balaam here. And then, God willing, we're going to turn in August to the, the epistle that James wrote and study that for several weeks, probably about a year and a half. We'll study that for us. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the presence of the Lord that's in this place today. Lord, this morning I woke up singing victory in Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you for the blood of the cross that redeemed us, that bought us, that washed us. As we turn to study your word, Lord, we remember those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, when they realized Jesus had been with them, they said that our hearts not burn. And so this morning we pray as we study this word that our hearts would feel, this strange, feel that same strange warmth and burning as we sense your presence. Move us, God. Come on, church, I want you to pray with me. Move us, O oh Lord. Move this community, Lord. Use us, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Yes, Jesus. It's in Jesus' beautiful name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Bobby Connor has been considered a strong prophetic voice in the church now for years. I think most would recognize him as um, a man of integrity. He shares of an encounter that he had. Uh, he said he was sleeping one night and um, the Lord woke him up, brought him into a vision. And in this vision, uh, Jesus brings him to the shore of the sea and tells him that it's time for them to go fishing. Bobby Connor said that uh, he wanted to go back to sleep, and so he didn't, he didn't know why they were fishing in the middle of the night. And he said that uh, in the dream, in the vision, Jesus um, is adamant that they catch fish, but as they get to the seashore, there's just a wild storm, like just a raging storm. And, and, and Bobby said that um, Jesus started talking about, um, Bobby, I want you to catch a fish. And he said he, he couldn't even like stand on his feet because the storm was raging so much. And he realized that um, Jesus was standing in perfect peace. And the closer that he got to Jesus, the more he could catch his breath and kind of gather himself. And so he, he kind of snuzzled up next to Jesus. And Jesus says, catch me a fish. And in the vision, Bobby said that he said to the Lord, I'm not the last thing I wanted to be doing right now is catching a fish. We need to be taking shelter. And he said, I'm not prepared. And the vision went on, but the, the, the point I wanted to share with you was um, Jesus said to Bobby in this vision, he said, um, the best time to fish is in the middle of the storms. And the, the point there that, that Bobby Connor was trying to share is that so many times in seasons of shaking, the church, like the world, we cower in fear. But it's actually in that exact hour that we should stand up and declare, no, we have peace in the midst of the storm. It's in the hour of cultural chaos, in the hour of financial collapse, when the church should draw near to Christ, stand in his perfect presence and fish Amen. and declare to the nations, we have shelter. I think 
I've been doing, I've been in a season of doing some praying. And I think God is calling us as a church to grow in weakness. Everything that the world has to offer. When we start talking about um, cultural chaos or financial collapse or war and rumors of war or what it means to build a life and a family. Everything culture has to offer is, um, here's eight ways to be successful. Here's six ways on accomplishing your dreams and fulfilling your visions. We talk a lot about you need to have a vision and you need to confess the vision. You need to have a strong, optimistic outlook on life. And there's a place for all of that. But all the world has to offer is be stronger. And I'm telling you, by God, what the church has to offer is you can collapse in weakness in the arms of a loving father. And the church, our church, I believe this, in this hour, I think I can say this prophetically, God is calling us to be a people who learn what it means to be weak. We don't, in the face of chaos, buck up with the strength of our flesh and say, we can grit this out. The church that knows weakness in the middle of storms and chaos, they hit their knees and fasting and prayer, and say, Holy Ghost, you are strong. We say with Paul, in my weakness, you are strong. We don't need more Christians who stick their chest out. We need more Christians who know something about prayer. We need more Christians who say, hey, we might not have the answers in the flesh, but by God, we have access to the Holy Ghost. We need more Christians to say, I don't have the, the methods, I might not have the formulas, but I can get my hands on the garment of Jesus, and the power of God will flow. We've lived for too long in the West as people who say, be strong, we value strength. God is calling us in this hour to acknowledge and value brokenness. And God is breaking us. And it's in brokenness that we can hide in the shelter of the Almighty. It's in brokenness that we can retreat to his strong arm. It's in brokenness that I can look my problem in the face and say, you look like a giant, but by God, my God is big. We, We are supposed to be a people who have peace and covering and shelter in God. And our invitation to the nations is not, we are going to give you eight ways to be optimistic and stronger in your flesh. Our invitation to the nations are, you're struggling, you're weak, you're tired, come and drink from the fountain, which is Jesus Christ. Have your soul nourished in God. Our invitation is not, buck up, pick yourself up. Our invitation is hit your face at the altar and by God, Jesus will meet with you. That's the declaration of my life, man. Not, not God, I, I, I strengthened myself and I was so disciplined that I studied the word and I was so strong that I made it. The testimony of my life is when I gave up, he breathed on me. When I acknowledged that I was a valley of dry bones, the Holy Ghost picked me up and put me on my feet. And what we don't want to do, guys, is look at our community and say, we've got all the solutions and we can teach you to be better people. What we want to do is say, oh, you're tired, come drink. Oh, you're weary, come feast. You feel like you can't catch your breath. The Holy Ghost is the breath of life. And we need to learn to be a people who find shelter in God.
as we turn, we've got two more weeks. We're going to study two more oracles of Balaam. Remember this sorcerer who was called to come and curse Israel, who tries to curse Israel and God makes him bless. We've got two more weeks of studying Balaam. And what we're going to learn today is that Israel, they're vulnerable. They're in the desert. They're tired. They, they don't have the ability in and of themselves to succeed. But they are totally safe and satisfied, not in their surroundings, not in their strength, in their covenant with God. They are blessed in God. And what we want to remember today, and we know this, guys, you know this, but we forget it so easily. We're so dumb. Okay, we just are. What we want to remember is that you can have the house on a highest hill. You can have all the wealth all the optimism, all the gifting, take it all. All I need is Jesus. And in Jesus, I am satisfied. Numbers 23, we'll start in verse 27. Balak said to Balaam, come now, I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, listen to this, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his discourse and he said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Waters shall flow from his buckets. His seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agog, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries. He shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched. He lay down like a lion and like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said I would certainly honor you, but the Lord has held back from honor. Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers who sent for me, if Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I'll not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. First, Let's notice that here Balaam is going through some kind of spiritual transformation. So we've talked in weeks past, and if you're just jumping in with us, um, just quickly, um, Balak is the, the king of the Moabites, 
and Israel's camped in the wilderness, and, and Barak is really scared that Israel's going to rise up and conquer him. And so what he decides to do is he decides to call for a sorcerer, a, a witch doctor, a, 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 a seer. And so he calls for uh, Balaam, who is this great sorcerer known for hundreds of miles. And Barak calls Balaam, and he says, Balaam, I want you to curse Israel. I can't beat them in war, but if you would curse them, if you would put a curse on them, maybe I would be able to overtake them. And so Balaam, do you remember this famous story, right? Balaam mounts his donkey and heads towards Moab. And on the way, there's an angel of the Lord that stands with a sword drawn. And three times the donkey tries to run from the angel of the Lord. But the seer, the great sorcerer, the Bible wants us to see that he's spiritually dull. Because he didn't even recognize that the angel of the Lord had a sword ready to take his head off. And so we see already, before we even get to the oracles, God is saying of Balaam, he does not see. And we remember uh, from this text, from this entire narrative, that there will always be in the world people who claim to have spiritual insight. And God calls them poor, blind, and naked. There will always be witch doctors and soothsayers and palm readers. And God says, do not go to them for wisdom or spiritual insight. They are dull and dumb. If you want to really glean, then come to me. So Balaam, he can't see the angel of the Lord, but eventually God opens up his eyes. Now we read here that the first two times... Balaam offered sacrifices, and then he went to go try to meet with the Lord. We read that he's practicing still some kind of witchcraft, and he's trying to hear from the Lord through omens, seeking omens. But now, his third encounter, these two encounters, every time he meets with the Lord, he's learning of the heart of God. He's growing in his revelation of who God is. And in his third encounter here, the text says, he does not go to look for omens. But rather, he turns his face to, towards the wilderness because he recognizes that God is not a God who reveals himself through sorcery or witchcraft. He's a God who reveals himself to a man or a woman who, are, who will get alone before him. Church, you need to learn the secret place. You need to know what it's like to go in the wilderness and seek the face of the Lord. There are no shortcuts to intimacy with God. I hate to say it. The only way I know is to get before him and fasting and prayer to lay before him with the word of God and worship. There, there's no, no, no sorcery. There's no four steps to become an intimate friend with God. The only way I know is to become acquainted with the wilderness. And Balaam, he's learning. We're going to see rebellion in Balaam's heart again. He's still dumb, for lack of better words. But he is learning the heart of God a bit here. And so the text says he doesn't look for oracles, but he turns to the wilderness and then he opens his oracle, remember, by saying, Balaam, uh, the, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. So he's acknowledging that for the last bit, he's been blind. He's going to say the, the oracle of him who hears, saying, now I hear the word of God, who sees the visions of the Almighty falling down before God with my eyes uncovered. And so he's declaring to us, some scholars believe, that Balaam is communicating that he's actually had here some kind of great ecstatic vision, that he's been caught up in some kind of trance. But he is saying to us, now I have seen, now I have spiritual insight. The oracles, the witchcraft, none of that really works with this God. And so he turns towards the wilderness 
He's caught up in the glory of God. And he says, now I hear, now I see. What does Balaam see? What has Balaam heard? Well, first he says that the people of Israel shall be established. The first portion of the oracle again. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Your encampments, O Israel. Like palm groves that stretch afar. Like gardens beside a river. Like aloes that the Lord has planted. Like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets. And his seed shall be in many waters. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. Israel is camped in an orderly fashion. You remember this from studying the Old Testament? Israel is, um, in the center of the encampment is, is the tabernacle where they meet with the Lord. And then they're kind of layered outside of uh, the tabernacle as a kind of a prophetic declaration, declaration that the center of this community is worship and the glory of God. And so Israel's uh, camped in order and in peace as they, as they build their community around worship. And Balaam's saying, I see something about your communal worship, your communal order, the beauty of your encampments. Like palm groves that stretch far, they're numerous. Now, let's just pause here for a second and acknowledge that the first portion of the oracle, the entire time, Balaam is painting this imagery of greenery and water that flows, seeds that are nourished, buckets that spill over with water, remembering that where does Israel live in this moment? In the desert. And so there's nothing green in the desert. And yet Balaam is declaring that you, Israel, flourish even in the dry places. Like palm trees that stretch far, you're numerous. Like gardens beside a river. Like gardens beside a river. Think, there's almost imagery here that wants us to think of the Garden of Eden. Like this kind of, remember in Eden there's multiple rivers that flow. And the garden is green and, and nourished. And, and, and Balaam says, like a, like a garden planted by a river, you are so satisfied. Like aloes the Lord has planted. What are aloes good for? We use them for sunburns, right? They're, they're, aloes can be used for all kind of, uh, it has all kind of healing properties for wounds throughout history. People have used aloes for healing properties. And it's as if Balaam's saying, like aloes that are growing and, and, and that are prospering, you as a people are healing to the nations. Burns and wounds find healing in your presence. Healing for souls like cedar trees beside water. Cedars are known for their stability and their longevity and their stubbornness. They they don't rot quickly. They don't decay quickly. And so here Balaam says, you're like strong cedars that drink so well from the waters. You will not rot. Waters flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. What does that mean? Your crops are nourished. You overflow with water. Now, here, in all of this text, there is imagery of natural provision. 
right? Their seeds get water. That's good for crops. That's good to feed your children. You're, you're flourishing. There, there is imagery here of, of God being their natural provision. But when I pray every day, I try to pray every day, um, Lord, give us today our daily bread. I pray, Lord, satisfy our daily needs. You are always meet our financial needs. We are well fed. But more than natural bread, God, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. More than natural bread. Jesus says in John chapter 4, I have meat to eat you know not of. God, more than being satisfied and full in my stomach, I need my spirit to drink. I need my buckets to overflow. I need to be nourished by the presence of the Holy Ghost. More than food, God, we need your holy, glorious, splendid presence in our souls. And so, so he is saying here that you're cared for in the natural, but even more so in the wilderness, you are filled with joy. You are satisfied with peace. Jesus says, all who are thirsty will come to me and drink the imagery of, of, of water here. How many times did he talk about gardens beside a river, cedars beside waters, water from his buckets, the seed shall drink from many waters. How many times do we get this imagery of water in this oracle? And again, that idea, church, is that your spiritual man needs living water. And Balaam says, Israel drinks Because they have covenant with God. They are safe. They are satisfied. They are full. Because they know God. Then he says, they shall have a king. This king shall be higher than Agog. And his kingdom shall be exalted. He'll expound on this idea more in the the next oracle, which we'll study next week. But the idea again here is that there is going to be a messianic king that rises up from Israel. Who will be highly exalted. We're going to get the early church look to the fourth oracle of Balaam, which we'll study next week, so many times as messianic prophecy, as Balaam declaring that there will be a king from Israel who will be victorious. We know his name to be Jesus. He turns again to this imagery of the ox and the lion. Remember, we looked at this last week. He said, God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. We said last week that it's like the imagery of a bull run, right? Uh, Oh, ox with horns running before Israel and just tossing aside everything that gets in her way. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries. He shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with arrows. He crouched, he laid down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him? Again, we saw last week that Israel is called a great lioness that's going to step into Israel, into the land that was promised to Abraham, and they will have victory over all of their enemies. When Israel lies down again, she'll lie down with peace. Finally, he's going to quote Genesis 12. Now, as I've meditated on this text, I think I can say that that in many ways, Balaam is expositing, he's expounding upon, he's declaring to Israel what is found, what is declared in in the blessing of Abraham. So here he's going to say, um, blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. Remember, we get that from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7, where God meets with Abraham. He promises Abraham the land. He promises Abraham that he'll have numerous descendants. 
and that the nations of the earth will be blessed in Abraham, that those who try to curse Abraham's descendants will be cursed. So in many ways, thus far, one, Balaam is declaring to Balak, keep trying to curse Israel and you're going to be cursed, bud. All those who stand up and try to curse God's people will fall so flat on their faces. And two, he is declaring that Israel is living within the confines of a beautiful covenant with God. Why does Israel drink from from satisfying waters in the wilderness? Because they are blessed. Why is Israel prospering numerically? Why are their children fed and happy even in the desert? Because they are blessed. Why is Israel protected from their enemies? Why won't their enemies have victory over this people? Because they have been blessed. So in many ways, Balaam's standing up and he's saying to Balak, just look at them. God blessed them hundreds of years ago and this blessing is a covering, it's a tent, a shelter over these people that cannot be penetrated. And anyone who stands and tries to curse this people, they will fall. So what are we seeing arise from the text? That the safest place to be is in covenant, covenantal blessing with God. The only place to hide is in the shelter of the Most High's wings. When you're thirsty, stop looking to alcoholism. When you're thirsty, stop looking to fulfill your sexual needs, and it's not going to satisfy you. When you're thirsty, men and women, quit looking for money, man. Stop acting as if money's going to actually satisfy something in you. Peter said, silver or gold, I have not, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Come on, I don't need your money. I need a fresh filling of the Holy Ghost. Come on, the church doesn't need wealth, doesn't need fat pockets. If God gives it to you, thank God, it's a blessing. But what we need more than fat pockets is fat spirits. Ready to go and ready to preach and ready to serve. So many times you look for satisfaction in worldly things. And when you start to try to find your satisfaction in sex or drugs or peace and comfort, you start to build your camp under the shelter of financial peace. But I want you to know that the shelter of financial peace is weak. It's not built on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. You try to start drinking from sexual desires. You want to be satisfied. Man, live long enough looking at pornography, you're going to be chewed up and spit out. The devil wants your soul. There's only one place to hide. There's only one place to drink. It's in the arms of a loving father. One of the most natural distinctives about humanity and childhood is that children look for security in their father, right? Like the healthiest thing, fathers, you can do for your children is stay present, love your wife, provide, let them see strength in you, and it causes them to rise up with courage and stability in their hearts. And that's an image So many things in creation, whether you're willing to recognize this or not, God created with intentionality so that these images would reveal to us who he is. We have fathers because God wanted us to see what it's like to hide yourself in the arms of a strong man who cares for you. 
And today we declare as a church, we need to declare in this gospel that there is a loving Father whose arms, whose grip cannot be broken. His arm is not short to save. We have a loving Father whose love is zealous and is radical and is pursuing us and demons flee and Satan falls like lightning before him. He's safe. And some of us have been running from him for so long. And God calls you today in this gospel. Stop looking for shelter in the things of this world. They'll soon to pass away. Come to me, Israel, just totally fat and happy in the desert. And God says, come sit in my lap. I am the ultimate father. So we learn from the text today. What's rising out of the text are these themes that Think of Bobby Connor again. In storms, when our nation shakes with fear, you are not to shake. You're to come to your Abba. And you're to stand up with courage and say, I have a shelter. And there's a vacancy. When we pray from Ephesians 6, that we, we put on the, the shoes of readiness granted by the gospel of peace. We're praying, I have peace with God. I have peace with man. There's peace in my soul. So I can put on these shoes that are ready to go and preach and fight and march, even in the midst of raging chaos. I put on my shoes of readiness because I have final peace. And you can scratch and call and cuss and shout, but you can't take it from me. So if the theme is that the safest place to be, the most satisfying, nourishing place for any individual to be is in covenantal relationship with a loving father, the question then becomes, are you in covenantal relationship with a loving father? Or are you looking to the world for satisfaction? The covenant of Abraham has an open invitation in Christ Jesus. Galatians teaches us that Jesus is the seed of Abraham and that all who come to, with faith in Jesus, Romans 9 through 11, are grafted into the vine and begin to participate in the promise of Genesis chapter 12. So if Israel's soul was fat, even in the desert, the promise is you can have that same blessing if you would come to Christ Jesus, he opens up the doors to that covenantal blessing, even a new covenant with higher blessing. He, he swings it wide and says, stop living in the dry desert. Stop drinking from polluted wells. Stop trying to satisfy your flesh and come to me, the fountain of living water. You can be blessed in covenant with me because of the cross. And that's our declaration to the nations. You can have covenantal shelter in Christ Jesus. Do you have it? Do you drink? Again, so many times in our day and age, when we're tired and we're weary, we look each other in the face and say, flex, be strong. And we need to learn to say, drink. Come to the river. Hit your knees in the altar. And be satisfied with living water. What a shame. The Western church is so boasted up with arrogance and so void of the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm declaring to you. We are going to learn weakness here by God. Lord. We are going to learn to be full of the Holy Ghost. 
Jesus on Calvary with his arms stretched wide, nails piercing his hands, his arms stretched wide as if he's inviting us in. You don't have to look for shelter anywhere else. Come lay your head in my breast. Come feast. This covenant is open to you today. And for those of us in covenant, we need to remember that in this covenant we have strength. May we put our trust in no other well. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'll close this in prayer and we'll slide into a time of ministry. Come on today, Lord, we return to weakness. We just declare we need your anointing and your presence. Our souls, God, when they're dry and weary, we need to drink from you. Lord, we forsake every false fountain today, every man-made cistern. We throw down those idols. Come on in your own heart. If it's pornography, if it's drunkenness, if it's just arrogance and pride, I want you to begin to pray, God, I forsake those idols today. And I come to drink from the Spirit. I ask that you would satisfy us, God. We're not after prominence. We're not after success today, Lord. We're after a great drinking in this hour from the Spirit of the Lord. Come on, it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. All the saints say amen. Amen.